we're grateful that you're here with us. I uh, want to let you know about something that's really, really important. Uh, first of all, how many of you saw Monday Night at the Gate this past week? How many of you watched Monday Night at the Gate? If you didn't see it, I think it's still up on Facebook. It may be on uh, other places too. Is it on Facebook? It's on YouTube. You can go to YouTube as well. Um, it was probably one of the most incredible times we had. Dr. David Remedios was our guest. He's a surgeon, and uh, we had incredible miracles. We had, we had testimonies come in this week of people that were healed while he was just speaking the word of the Lord over people. It was an amazing time, plus what was shared. Uh, I love one of the things he said. He said, we're moving into a time of harvest where the fish are going to jump in the boat. How many of you are ready for some of the people that you thought were hardheads just to go on and get saved and just jump in the boat and come to Christ? So we're, we're ready for that to happen, and I'm excited about that. Next Sunday, next Sunday is a big day here at the gate, and many people would say, why would you even attempt to do something like that in the midst of a pandemic and health crisis? Well, I found, I found out that the football stadiums are beginning to fill up more and more. I found out that Home Depot was full. I, people are calling out their favorite stores right now, so you can go online right now and just put your favorite store on there. But my point is not that. My point is this, is that what we're going to be doing, a lot of what we're doing next week is outside, and we're certainly going to use all the uh, social distancing that we can. We will begin our worship experience in here, and then from here we'll go outside for food trucks will be here. There'll be games for kids. There'll be train rides. Uh, the Lord willing, the pumpkin patch will be up and running. Uh, because of COVID, our pumpkins were supposed to arrive yesterday, but they're unable to get truck drivers. The truck drivers are experiencing a lot of difficulty. So would you pray with us that they get in here the first part of the week because we've already promoted it. But we found out it was happening all over the nation, uh, other places that we work with as well. But next Sunday is a great Sunday for you to bring family and friends. That's the key for what we're doing next week. It's a family kind of day, fun day. And the service is going to be beginning in here. Like I said, we'll begin in here. I'm going to literally just talk for a few minutes and teach about what does it mean to really live fully alive. And so it would be a great day for you to bring people from work, people that maybe you've been wanting to invite for a long time. They haven't ever come before. You can tell them it's going to be a safe environment. They can come be with us next Sunday. And then we'll spend uh, a few hours afterwards uh, enjoying a great time. And for those of you that are online, that'd be a great time for you to invite friends to even join us online uh, and to uh, see what God's doing uh, in their life. At the end of our service today, we're going to do a couple of things that are important to the body of Christ. One of them is, is that we're going to come to the table of the Lord. This is Communion Sunday, and we want to make sure we uh, not only, it's not a tradition, it really is a life-giving moment. There have been seasons in my life when the Lord spoke to me and I would take communion every day simply because of that was the instruction of the Lord to me. But I believe as a believer, he said, do this as often as you do it. In other words, it's something that shouldn't be random. It's something that should be a part of the life of, of a believer. And so we're going to come to the table of the Lord at the end today and celebrate communion. And the other thing we'll do at the end of the meeting today is how many of you know, but way back in, um, in March, I talked to you about expansion, that we were going to continue to do what God spoke to us. And we, you know, I don't believe the promises of God come with an asterisk. I mean, God doesn't say, here's what I promise you as long as nothing goes bad in the world. 
And so these promises that God spoke to us, he gave to us last fall that we were to lean into in 2020. And by God's grace, we've continued to do those. One of them was plant a church, which uh, we've been able to do. In uh, June, uh, July, we planted out Josh and Lindsay. They have begun services now every week since September. And uh, wonderful things are happening in Edmond at the Way Church. We were able to help them and do everything we were supposed to do with them. We're also enlarging our media capacity because we want to reach as many people as we can. So we have two more months. That's October and November. For us, on the third week, we've been taking additional special offerings for expansion. How many of you know the dream should continue to expand? Amen? We're not just trying to maintain. We're literally trying to reach as many people as we can for Jesus. It's all about reaching people for Jesus. That's what, that's what it's all about. So at the end of the service, we'll end with our expansion offering today as well. I want to continue a series of messages we've been talking about the witness. Somebody shout the witness. How many of you know that the earth is groaning not for a new government? The earth isn't groaning for a new officials. We're all groaning. <laughs> but, but the Bible says the earth is groaning. It's in travail for something really significant. It's Romans chapter 8, and it says the earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, the earth is desperately looking for and waiting for a group of people who will rise up and be the witness of Christ in the earth. I believe there's never been a more desperate time for us to have the witness of the Lord in the earth than it is today. Anybody other than me sometimes get confused by people that say they're Christians but you're not really sure what they're witnessing to? Because we're not only just witnesses, how many of you know we are witnesses Acts chapter 1 says, you'll be witnesses unto me, unto me. Jesus makes that statement. He didn't say you'd just witness about certain beliefs. He says, you'll actually, actually witness to me, about me. And it doesn't just say that you'll do witnessing. He said, you'll be witnesses. In other words, sometimes you'll walk into environments where you won't say anything, but something about how you live and how you choose will give witness to who it is that you follow. A pastor in Atlanta, his name's Andy Stanley, he pastors an incredible church, North Point Church, which is now the second largest church in America tells a story and it was pretty intriguing to me because I'd actually been pretty much to the region where he was and I know the persecution that happens in these environments but he was visiting China and there was a, a man there that had connections to the U.S. that was a friend of a friend and when Andy was in the city the friend said you, you need to go see his factory and all the things they produce and so Andy and his his uh, daughter went to visit the factory that the man owned that was in China. And he said, when I went there, I, the owner was there, 
we had a host that was there that was our host while we were in China and he said a couple of people that worked there in the factory took us all through the factory and he said after having completed about a two-hour tour and pretty amazed at the technology of the things that were being done we came back to the owner's office and we're getting ready to just greet each other and leave and he said uh, the owner said does anybody have any questions and he said there had been a young lady that had been accompanying the tour, a young Chinese lady that had been accompanying the tour, had never said anything, very quietly. And he said she raised her hand up almost very shyly and said, may I ask a question? And her boss said, of course, sure, you can, you can ask a question. And she said, are you a pastor? And he said, I went... I don't know how to answer this. First of all, I'm in communist China. I came as a visitor. I'm not here doing ministry. But she wants to know if I'm a pastor. How do I answer that? And you don't, you, you'd only have to travel in nations where that could be very threatening to understand the implications. And so he said, I just went for it. And he said, I said, yes, I am. I'm a pastor. And she said, I thought I recognized that voice. And he said, what do you mean? She said, two years ago, I was given a copy that had been mass reproduced for people of a sermon you preached called How Good is Good Enough. And she said, all of them were secretly made and passed out in the complex where I lived. And she said, I listened to that sermon over and over and over until the point that I decided that Jesus really is who he says he is. And I made a choice to become a Christ follower. And I'm thrilled to be able to look in the face of the man that I only heard his voice. And she said, there wasn't, there's no church in our city, a city of several million people. There was no Bible-believing church in our city. So she said, to go to church, I have to ride about two hours by train and go through checkpoints. And I, it's very risky because I have to often ask and be told why I'm going and where am I going. And so she said, I don't get to go every week, but lots of weeks I get on the train and I make the journey and I risk my life. And she said, I actually led my parents to Jesus and the three of us, my brother, my father, mother, and myself actually purchased Bibles, which could actually cost my dad his job. Our family could lose their income and be sentenced to work camps for owning a Bible. So Andy says he's listening to this lady tell her story of how Christ has changed her life. And he said, she said, can I ask one more question? And he said, sure, go ahead. And he said, it was not the first question when she asked me, was I a pastor, that really made me nervous. She, he said, it was her second question that I've never been able to get away from. And he said, the second question she asked me was, why doesn't everybody in America go to church? I'm confounded. 
why with the freedoms you have, why does not everybody in America go to worship God? And I'm wondering today in Oklahoma City, in the midst of the Bible Belt, the heart of evangelical Christianity, why would the majority of our city today not be in worship? How do you explain that to a young Chinese girl who's willing to risk her life, her future, to own a Bible or to get on a train and travel two hours to get to worship. What makes people, historically, what makes them risk it to that point? You say, Bishop, are you trying to make us feel better? No, it's not my, my issue today is not to try to compare, but to really ask us to say, what is it? What is it that became, and here's, here's, here's where I'm going today. What is it that was so irresistible to that young lady that she was willing to risk it all? Because see, I believe that's really what the first century church looked like. I believe that's what made the book of Acts what it is. Because the book of Acts, those guys did the same thing. In the book of Acts, they were willing to leave the tradition of their parents to follow this, this rabbi who not only announced his own death, he announced that he would die and then announced he would rise again. Now listen, I don't know about you, but when people start predicting their death and then their resurrection three days later, I'm going to pay attention to what they got to say. What is it would cause businessmen to leave their businesses because of such an attraction that he was so irresistible? What is it that made people, when the Roman Empire said, if you continue to be a part of that way group, we'll burn you at the stake. We'll feed you to lions. But yet, something was irresistible. Jesus said in John chapter 12, and here's where I'm going to launch from today. John chapter 12, Jesus makes this statement. It's right in the middle of the context of him heading to the cross. He makes this statement. He said, if I and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw how many? He said, there's something about what I'm about to do that's going to be so magnetic that if it's told and if it's demonstrated and if it's ever experienced, it's not going to be a neighborhood in the earth that it's not going to affect. He said, if, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. 
How many of you recognize today that Jesus is not here to speak for himself, but he does have a body? I'm going to try that one more time. He's not here to speak for himself, but he does have a body. And we are called the body of Christ. So every believer is a part of that body. And so Jesus is literally saying to you and I, he's not only was announcing to them that by the cross, I'm going to begin to make men and women be drawn into a life they've never thought was possible. But then I'm going to use a generation of people coming after me who will keep telling the story and keep living the story and keep demonstrating the story. And the more they live it and the more they demonstrate it and the more they tell it, it is going to be so counterintuitive to the ways of the world that people like a magnet are going to be drawn in. You won't have to march and hold placards. You'll just have to demonstrate who I am. And if you live who I am, it's going to put a draw on men and women all over the earth. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, that there was a time in history, there was a time in church history and there was a time in earth natural history that a group of radical, unsophisticated, under-resourced, undercapitalized group of people who were not called Christians because we weren't called Christians until you get to the eighth, ninth chapter of the book of Acts. They weren't called Christians. They were called the people of the way. They literally were the people of a certain pathway. They walked different. They walked to a different drumbeat. There was something about their life. It wasn't that they went to church on Sunday morning because they had no church to go to. It wasn't because they held Bible studies because they had no Bible. But they were people of the way. This group of radical, unsophisticated, undercapitalized people who were the disadvantaged, oppressed part of the world, in the oppressed part of the world by the Roman Empire. They captured the attention of the entire pagan world. In other words, they didn't have to march on the red light district. The red light district became aware they were there. They didn't have to march on drug lords. Drug lords were aware they were there because there was something about how they conducted their life that was so irresistible that everywhere they went, people would begin to begin, uh, get an appetite for a life that was like theirs rather than the one they were living. And much of the pagan world became devoted participants in this group called The Way. In fact, so much so, that cities begin to identify that group of people this way. They would say this, those who have turned the world upside down have come here as well. They would go into cities as small groups and upend everything. Today in America, most churches would close and nobody would know they were gone. They were so identified by their irresistibility that a woman who was disenfranchised at a well one day met the man who was the one who was so magnetic 
that she left her water pots. That's what she came to do that day. She came to draw water. But she was so taken with him, she forgot what she was really doing because her life had been so impacted. She left her water pots, went back in the city, and told the whole city who had already prejudged her to be an immoral woman. So how many of you know when you go back in the city as the lead woman of immorality in the city, you probably don't get much hearing unless you go to talk to all the people you've been with. But she went back to the city and said to them, come see a man who told me everything I was looking for about life. What I'm looking for today in Oklahoma City is I'm looking for that group of sons of God who are about to rise up in the earth, who don't have a form of godliness, but literally have been impacted by this irresistible Jesus to the point that when people meet us, they forget what they were doing and go tell their friends, I know my life was a mess. I know you know me as a failure. I know you know I'm a liar. I know I can't be trusted. But if you ever meet this man that I met, your life would never be the same again. My assignment today is I want to talk about how do we become irresistible? Because may I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, Millions of people in America are resisting us hourly. You say, well, they just hadn't heard our worship. No, they hadn't heard our worship because they can't get past the resistible people that represent him. How do we once again be that irresistible people that literally cities know when we show up? I talk to people who work in places that they've worked for years with colleagues five, six, seven, eight years. And the people they work with don't even know they're a believer. And we get mad about people coming out of the closet. Maybe the people that have been the most locked up are not those who have bad lifestyles. Maybe those who've been most locked up are the ones who are most intimidated. By the God they say they're in love with. What happens when we become irresistible? What would that look like? What would it look like in Oklahoma City if over 2,000 churches started releasing people into our city that was irresistible? What would happen in your neighborhood if there was such a magnetic draw that came because of the Christ life you live? That when people get a bad report from the doctor, they knock on your front door and say, hey, I need you. I need your help. I don't, I don't know how to pray, but I know you do. Irresistible. There were three things in particular that made this group irresistible. Irresistible. I'm going to tell them to you quickly. First of all, Jesus did a couple of things that was so far out of the norm. It was so radical that it upset most of the religious people and the, the 
societal people of his day. First thing he did is he announced that he was giving birth to a new, new community of people. Peter, when he interpreted that, because Peter was there on, on Matthew, in Matthew 16 when Jesus announced, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus called it the church. That was a term that was not used for religious things. It was a very secular term. But when Peter interpreted that in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 9, here's what Peter said. Peter said, this group that Jesus is establishing, hold on to your seat, this group that Jesus is establishing, he said they're a chosen generation. They're a royal priesthood. Watch this. Here it is. They're a holy nation. In other words, the people that I'm about to raise up that are irresistible are not tribal people. I got five amens. They are a holy nation. Their identity, their citizenship, what really matters to them, what beats in their heart is something beyond the limited scope of the boundaries of their natural life. They recognize that when they're born again, they're born into a kingdom that supersedes, or let me use a big word, it transcends all the other fences that we tend to build to separate people. <clears throat> May I suggest to you that it is the work of hell to divide and sectional off people. Even in the religious world, we have Dinama nations. Hmm? How many of you know when you're more committed to being a Methodist than you are to being a Christ follower? Or when you're more fulfilled by being a Word of Faith person than you are by being a Christ follower? You have bought into the narrative that comes from the dark side. And that's the narrative of let's divide people, let's number and divide them. Denama means I'm going to number and separate. I'm going to take as many numbers as I can and put them over here in my nation. So how many of you know the religious world does it? Let's don't, let's don't get on Congress. Let's come right here to our house to begin with. The religious world does it. We divide people. They are tongue talkers. They're not tongue talkers. They're evangelicals. They're liturgical. They, they, come on, somebody help me. They're Jesus only. They're Trinitarian. We just separate everybody everywhere and wonder why we have no irresistibility in the earth today. It's because we're so confused about who we are, we don't even know who we're representing. Somebody said, well, are you Jesus only? I said, I am. I'm, I'm Jesus only in every way. I believe there's no other name given among men whereby you can be saved. Are you Trinitarian? I do. I believe that the Father through the Son and the Holy Ghost is accomplishing everything in the earth. Are you evangelical? I am because I believe the good news ought to be told to everybody. Are you liturgical? Yes, because I'm tied to an ancient church that is never going to have an ending. Somebody said, are you free will? Yep, I believe you make choices and nothing that you do can stop it. I also believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe he pulled on you when there was nothing in you pulling towards him. Jesus is all of that. He said, I'm not building a separated group of people. I am building a holy nation. And in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we take churches 
and divide them between they are conservative or liberal. Jesus is all of that. He said, what makes my people irresistible is that you can't put them in a corner and paint them with one color. Because it's just as soon as you say, Jesus is like that guy. He, 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 he wears a, what, what did you call it? A lounging clothes. Amanda asked me if I was going to preach in my lounge clothes today. I'm, pre I'm preaching in my lounging clothes. So you can say, well, everybody's really spiritual. They wear lounging clothes. This is, I'm not lounging, but I am sitting. <laughs> Come on, somebody help me. <laughs> Or that, that guy that wears a tie, he's the guy that's really in the kingdom. Or that guy that has his hair cut real close. Or that guy that's got long hair. No, he's not any. He's all of those. You can't paint Jesus with a broad brush and say that's what he is. Because his kingdom is a whosoever will kingdom. It's men oriented. It's women oriented. It's children friendly. It's teen friendly. But we keep wanting to navigate God back into a box. He says, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. I'm talking about something that's irresistible. May I suggest today that the world is resisting us like crazy. And he's resisting us because we're not really representing him. Jesus and his emerging church. Look what it was sandwiched between. Am I doing okay? I don't have my timer on the back wall. Somebody needs to help me with my timer. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> I, read, I was, uh, this is a side break right here. I was preaching for a guy named B.B. Hankins years ago. And Brother Hankins had been in the same church like 50 years. And it was an incredible church. And I said to him, because I was a guest, I said to him, I said, uh, uh, Pastor Hankins, what time should I be done? I want to follow protocol. He said, oh, son, you preach as long as you want to. He said, we leave at noon, but you just feel free to preach as long as you want to. <laughs> so I have all day, but I won't have you all day. So let me just go as fast as I can. Sandwiched between, Jesus gives birth to this irresistible group of people. Sandwiched between the Roman Empire and temple worship. That's the two sides. The Roman Empire lived by the slogan that might made right. Might made you right. If you were the strongest, the most powerful, Nobody could disagree because your might made you right. And so the Roman Empire dominated the world. So here's this, here's this Roman Empire. Watch this. Hold on to your seat. This Roman Empire that held the world in fear by Roman crosses. Not by armament, even though they had the most powerful army. What kept people, like ordinary people in Oklahoma City who would have been living in those days, what kept them in fear was that ro they would pass down roadways in cities and outside the city along the highway would be crosses with men on them. 
because a cross and a nail reminded them that if you buck the Roman Empire, you're going to be on one of those crosses on the highway. And on the other side, this irresistible Jesus is resisted by this whole world of religious people that gives such credence to the temple that he is almost like desecrating it. Do you realize how holy? We, we don't have anything like it in our culture, so there's, it's, you have to really just have imagination. There's nothing like it in our world. You say, well, we got a church building. No, no, no. This don't come close to the mindset of what was in the temple. Nothing unclean came in the temple. Certain kinds of people couldn't enter the temple. In fact, in the place where the sacrifices were put on and the holy place was, ladies, you wouldn't have been here today because you couldn't come in the temple. These kids couldn't be here today. If you have blemishes on your skin, you couldn't have been here today. If you have a handicap of any sort, you couldn't be here today. Because you can't, you can't imagine how sacred that space and place was. And every part of Judaism plus every part of the pagan world had their temples. And their temples were places where God dwelled and only certain people could get there. And nobody else could ever come. Because if you had some things going on in your life, you couldn't get into the temple. Only the holiest of the holy, the clean of the clean, the best of the best ever got inside. Uh, ain't nobody helping me, but some of y'all look like that was you this week. Come on, how many of only the, only the, we're going to play the DVD of your life this week if you don't help me preach. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Only the clean of the clean. They never said anything. They crossed every T, dotted every I. They, listen, you talk about tithing, the ones that got in the temple, they got their spices out this week, and if they went to the grocery store and, and, and got some nutmeg, they brought a tenth of their nutmeg today to the temple to make sure they were right with God. Hmm? If you got onions, if you bought 10 of them, one of them's coming to the church today. Because everybody came to the temple. If you got in the temple, it was that. And Jesus comes along and says, this is about to be destroyed because this right here is not really a temple. I'm going to now put my spirit in people. And do you imagine those Jews going nuts? They were like, oh my God, you can't do that. You can't put a holy, righteous God in the midst of unclean people who didn't. They may not even wash their hands before they came in here. They may not have washed their feet. They may not have washed their ears. They may not have put blood on their ear, their thumb, and their toe. They couldn't make that. What you mean? You're going to put your spirit in them? And Jesus said, right between these two mindsets, this world over here that believes it's so powerful and this church over here that believes it's so holy, he said, I'm going to raise up a people right out of the middle of them. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a cross, and out of their weakness, I'm going to show them how strong I can be. And today, in Rome, the streets of Rome are lined with crosses, not because of the strength of the Roman Empire, because it's been long gone for over 1,800 years, but it's crosses that have proven that when you lay down your life, God can raise it up again, that in your weakness, his strength is made perfect. And he said, I'm going to raise up a group of people that have no 
reason to be invited into God's presence. But I myself, who knew no sin, am going to become sin so they who have no righteousness can be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to make them something they can't make themselves. Somebody shout a holy nation. See, what I figured out, ladies and gentlemen, is when you realize you couldn't work your way to righteousness, your humility becomes very irresistible. But when you believe you got here by crossing your T's, dotting your I's, and keeping the church rules, your self-righteousness and arrogance becomes very resistible. When I watch some people today represent the body of Christ, I'm thinking, who do we think we are that we can pontificate from our Facebook platform and throw shade on other people because of their lifestyles or because of their actions or because they don't do the things I think they ought to? Who do I think I am as a Christ follower? For we all were with sin. Nobody is sinless. Every man sinned and came short of the glory of God. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If there's anybody in the building glad today that you ought not be here, but you're sure glad you got invited to the party, would you just give him a shout of praise for a minute and let him know you're glad to be a part of a holy nation. And in my holy nation, forgiveness is stronger than hate. Going the second, second mile is a way of life. Giving value to women and children and people who failed is the culture of the kingdom. Maybe, we're ir maybe we've not been irresistible because we've not been presenting the right Jesus. Maybe the church has been reduced to trying to find a place in the empire. There are some Christians in America that really are Christian Taliban. I know that upsets me. I say that and I get emails and people send me stuff. I just say it to say it. Because you know what the Taliban does? The Taliban goes into a nation because they're radical Muslims and if they don't let a little girl go to school because they don't believe women should be educated and if you don't have your face covered then you're stoned in the middle of the streets and they execute all this stuff according to the laws of the, of, of the Quran. But how many of you know there are some Christians today, I, I'm, I, can I preach, there are some Christians today that when you look at them and say, you, well, you know those people that's got that alternative lifestyle, they're going to bust hell wide open. There's some Christians go, hell, yep, 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 yep. They're going to get what's coming to them. I want to tell you something. When the brokenness of people no longer breaks your heart, you are no longer walking in the way. You have entered into a religious world that Jesus said is not a part of the kingdom that I came to produce. Somebody asked me this week about one of our candidates who made a statement about an eight-year-old child. And I said, you know what that is? That was a statement that was made across America because it's, 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 it's playing into the social structure. But listen to me. Please listen to me. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying any way to be cute, but I'm going to tell you how we get there. Your theology is what gives birth to your anthropology. 
Anthropology is your study of mankind, humanity. And then out of your anthropology, you develop your so, social structures, your soteriologies, I mean, excuse me, your sociologies that take place. So in other words, what happens in society is a result of what your opinion is of mankind. And whatever your opinion is of mankind is fed from your belief about what you believe about God. Because if you don't believe God created us, while I was yet in my mother's womb, I was made. I was fashioned in heaven. I wasn't fashioned in a hospital. I was fashioned in heaven. God had a divine purpose for my life. If I don't believe that God is the creator of every man and woman that walks the earth, then I can have an attitude about man that some people are inferior and some people are superior. If I don't believe that God created everybody because he had a purpose for them and every one of them, he meant to be image bearers in the earth. If I don't believe that, then I can look at a man who's got a different skin color than I do and say, you're not as important as I am because I'm in the majority, therefore I'm superior. But that is a messed up sociology because I got a messed up anthropology. And I got a messed up anthropology because I have a bad theology. But when I realize that God from one man has made every man and that God fashioned you and I, your mom and daddy may not have wanted you. You might have been made in the back of a 55 Chevrolet. I don't know how you got here or a cheap hotel room room, but God intended for you to be here. I believe God made you. Your mom and daddy didn't make you. Society didn't make you. Your friends didn't make you. God made you. And if you want to find out who you are, you got to go back to the manufacturer. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Glory. And this my soul knows very well. Somebody shout, shout very well. So maybe, maybe this holy nation is not near as concerned about what may be lost as they are about who could be lost. Do you know what Jesus showed us? We forget this. He was a God-man. That means he was fully God. We all go, yeah, 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 amen. But he was fully human. We forget that. He was fully human. He showed, it what, he showed us what it was like to live on this planet, fully human. He didn't have to live every day angry, upset, depressed. He said, well, he lived in my world, he would be. No, 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 he was living in the Roman Empire. And he showed us as a man how to live. Because he was given birth to something that transcended all the things that we get hung up in. So I believe that once again, if we're going to be witnesses in the earth and be irresistible, I'm going to have to operate from my citizenship in a holy nation before I take my position as a citizen in the nation I live in. My citizenship here.
is subject to the fact I'm a citizen of a holy nation. You say, but I got a right. Listen, listen. There are things that earth legally permits that heaven doesn't approve of. You may have the legal right, but you don't have the divine approval. Glory. You can go to Vegas today and you can get a prostitute. It's legal. No police are going to bust in on you. But heaven ain't going to go, way to go, boy. Satisfying them desires. No, no. Just because you have legal rights does not mean you have heaven's approval. You're a citizen of a holy nation. Second thing Jesus did, and I'm almost done. These last two won't take me long. So he gave birth, I don't think. He gave birth to a new covenant. A new covenant. Not only a new community, but a new covenant. In other words, you say, what difference does that make? He gave birth to a new avenue of access to God. Your relationship was built on something different. We'll pick this up at some other point in time because there's a lot here. But let me just say this. I'm going to read from Hebrews 9, verse 13 through 15. I think they're going to put it on the screen. It says, The blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctified them so that they were outwardly clean. What he's saying is, is that there was people that came to worship who could never get clean on their own, but they went through the rituals, the sprinkling of blood, the ashes of heifers, and it ceremonially made them clean outwardly. Let me tell you what that looks like in 2020. That's people that go to church on Sunday hoping their conscience will be satisfied from what they did on Saturday. It's bulls and goats and sprinkles heifers. But comes to, yeah, I, I, I'm not getting no help. I think somebody online probably just hit heart right there over and over and over. Yeah, go for it, Bishop. Thank you. I can hear the amens coming from online. Thank you. Thank you for your help. So then the writer says, how much more? Somebody say, how much more? How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, watch this, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Do you know why most people don't really serve God, the living God? It's not because they don't want to, it's because something in their conscience tells them they're not capable, they're not worthy, they're inadequate, and, 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 and they live under such internal condemnation that they never go for it because they think somehow I'm going to mess it up and make it bad. And he said, I want you to understand something. My blood was shed not so you could clean up your outside behavior, but so I could actually cleanse your conscience from all the things that keep continually making you feel guilty about the stuff you did. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. 
that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sin, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Listen, Jesus died to purchase, we can really celebrate this, to purchase a new access to God. It wasn't through, hold on to your seat, it wasn't through striving in performance. Hmm? When I come back to this, the beginning of next year, listen, I spent my life trying to earn God's approval. God would be pleased with me. And then all of a sudden I found out that he was pleased with me. I don't operate from a place of trying to earn his favor. I operate from a place of having already received his favor. And that's ups that upsets religious people to no end because they believe if I don't do all the things to jump through the hoops, then I'm not being really spiritual. I'm not really being an on-fire Christian. But Jesus said, I came to give you a new covenant. I came to give you access to things that you didn't have to perform to get. I came to give you something that just wasn't outward cleansing. I came to give you inner cleansing. I can break you free not only from the incident, but I can break you free from the residue the incident left behind. Hallelujah. Come on, everybody in the room that did it, shout amen. Amen. We all, some of you didn't say amen, but you did it too. Everybody in the room did it at some point in time. But what we live with is we may have gotten forgiveness, but we never got freedom from the residue of what we did do in our lives. But he said, I'm going to cleanse you not only from the act, which was outward, I'm going to cleanse you inwardly from the residue of what was left behind from the act you did. Somebody in the room ought to thank God because the way we become irresistible is when we quit living with a guilty conscience, living out of hurt, disappointment, pain, victimization of stuff that was either done by us or to us, and we start living like freed people, and people go, how in the world can you just live so free? Do you, you got fired last week. I understand I got fired, but you don't know how free I am on the inside. I realize that I got more to life than just that job. God's going to provide something else. I can't believe you're living like that. You just had somebody betray you. I understand they betrayed me, and it did hurt me, but I got cleansed from the residue of all that stuff on the inside. Listen, oh, I feel good today. Life is going to be different when you live by a new covenant. He started a new community. He birthed a new covenant. And come on, team, help me. He gave us a new commandment. It's what made us irresistible, a new commandment. John 13, Jesus, just before he goes to the cross, says to his disciples, a new commandment. Somebody shout a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why? If you write in your Bible, you ought to underline this verse, by this By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. 
How many of you ever heard somebody talk about this? And if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. It's in the book. It's what he said. But we keep believing that's the Ten Commandments. And that wasn't his commandment. He didn't come to do away with them. He said, I'm the fulfillment of them. And he took everything that was in those Ten Commandments and reduced them to two commandments. He said, here's the commandments I'm giving you. I want you to love God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus looks at Tony and says to me, I want you, if you really love me, you'll keep my commandments. You know what that means? That means I'll love God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my strength. If some of you grew up in a Catholic tradition or liturgical church where they made the sign of the cross, today it's just become religious. But literally, when it started, they were fulfilling that commandment. I want to love God with all my mind, my heart, and my strength. That's what that is about. I want to love God because I'm keeping this commandment. When I love God with all my heart, I won't create idols in my life. When I love God with all my heart, I'll honor him. I'll honor his, his days. I'll honor his preeminence in my life when I love God with all my heart. When I love God with all my heart, I won't take his name in vain. And when I love my neighbor as myself, I won't sleep with his wife. I won't steal from him. I won't bear false witness. For so long we've believed that this was our foundation of faith. Thank God we have a Bible. But do you realize the first 300 years of the church that was so irresistible? They didn't have a Bible. The Reformation came along in the 1500s and we they had five points. One of them was scripture solo, sola, which means scripture alone. 
And for the last 500 years, we've put such an emphasis on the Bible that we've literally almost changed the Trinity to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Bible. And we say things like this. The Bible says, what the Bible says, what the Bible says. And we pick some scripture out of somewhere that may not have any contextual truth to it at all. It just fits our narrative. Because how many of you know this Bible was used to support in government houses, parliaments, the acts of slavery? Do you realize the Klan in America used this Bible? Hitler used this book to kill six million Jews because he thought the Jews should pay the price for killing Jesus and got the support of the Catholic Church to do it because we misinterpreted the commandments of God See, my faith is not built on a book. My faith is built on a person. In the early church, what made them so irresistible was I met a man that was so different than the world I lived in. See, you can, I can take you to India, and they can give you prayer books that got just so many scriptures of these. I'll never forget the day a man walked up to me, and I said, well, I've, I've come to bring you the truth. And he said, what makes your book any more truth than mine? And he handed me a Hindu prayer book. I can take you to the Middle East, to churches I've preached in, and they'll bring their Koran and say, I got a holy book. What makes your book any more powerful than mine? Because what's behind my book is a man who said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And when I raise it up, I'm going to give you life and that more abundantly. Because I didn't come to bring you the death of religiosity. I didn't come to captivate you and steal from you the joy of living by making you jump through hoops. I came to give you what I am, and that is the source of life. And I'm not going to stand apart from you and say, do all your tricks, and I'll receive you. But rather, I'm going to now come and make my abode in you. I'm not going to make you go to a building to feel like you're holy. I'm going to come live in you 
so that in your bedroom on Thursday night when all hell is breaking loose, you can stand up just like you were in the Holy of Holies and talk to God. You can be at your desk working on Friday, and I can bring you right into the Holy of Holies. I'm going to split the veil, everything that separated you from me, and I'm going to tear down the middle wall of partition, everything that made you believe that you were superior to somebody else. I'm going to show you, being fully man, what it is like to live in my daddy's kingdom. And when your faith is built on nothing less than a person named Jesus, you'll realize that the reason you're in this house today, the reason you're watching online, the old hymn writer said it this way, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry from the waters lifted me now safe am i love is what got me up a bible didn't get me up a church service didn't get me up love got me up if love lifted you i dare you get on your feet lift your hands raise your voice and let him know you're grateful your attention but I want to be a part of that
that irresistible company. That people where the fish jump in the boat because they so want to be a part of a community of people that's countercultural. They're not wrestling over all the stuff our world's wrestling over because they've settled their identity in Jesus. When nothing else could help. Come on, how many of you be honest enough to say, I was sinking. When nothing else could help. been preached to death but when I met him there's something about him there's something about him so as we come to the table of the Lord today if you don't know Jesus I'm going to invite you to the table but I want to talk to you just before we partake. If you don't have the communion emblems, the host teams are coming. They'll be glad to give it to you. We've got just a couple of moments. If you don't know Jesus personally, this is what it's all about right here. This is the bread. This is the cup. The bread symbolizes his body. Rome didn't kill him. said, if I wanted to, I could call 10,000 angels. They delivered me from you guys in a split second. But you can't stop me from doing what I desire to do, and that is to become once and for all the substitute for you. See, when I look at a cross, Jesus is not still on it. and I have crosses in our home at various places but he's not on it because he's not there because if he were there it wouldn't be fair if I didn't add my picture because when he was there he was there as me so the next time you see a cross with Jesus on it just do some photoshopping and remove Jesus and put you there because he went there as Tony and Songo and Kay and Brandon he went there for me and he said I'm going to let my body be broken said, I'm going to shed my blood because I want to give you a new covenant. In other words, I'm going to write a new will, a new testament. And the Bible says that every testament has to be signed. If you go to write a will today, 
the lawyer you work with or whoever, they're going to notarize it and somebody's going to sign it. They're going to put their mark on it that it's official. But the Bible says every testament has to be signed. But our new will was signed. Here's what the Bible says. It was signed by the blood of the testator, the one who made it. And here's what's exciting. We're getting ready to take. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to lead you to a simple prayer and then invite you to the table to receive the fullness of all that he meant to do for you. Here's what's so exciting. He didn't make a contract. Because if you make a contract, both parties have to have something they can bring to the table. He didn't make a contract with me. He made a covenant, literally a testament. Because he said, Tony, you don't have anything to bring to the table, so you have, you have no bargaining chips. All you can bring is your broken self, your nasty self, the things you thought about in your head that nobody knows about, the things you did in secret that nobody saw. He said, that's all you got to bring to the table. But let me tell you what I'm going to bring to the table. I'm going to bring to the table my righteousness. I'm going to bring to the table my grace. I'm going to bring to the table my forgiveness. I'm going to bring to the table my holiness so that what's true of me now will become true of you. Somebody pass me the paper because I'm about to take my blood and sign the testament so that you can know that I did it for you. So in the, the meal that night, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Jesus, thank you for giving your life. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for taking my place. Thank you for giving me life. Your brokenness is making me whole. Your forgiveness is giving me access to God. I believe you are the Son of God. You're the Savior of my soul. And I'm asking you today, live in me. Let's protect together. And in the same way he took the cup, he said, this is the cup of my New Testament, my new covenant. When you drink it, I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember what I did for you. I want you to remember who you are. When somebody on Tuesday tells you you're worthless, you just let that hit you and go right back out like a boomerang because you say, no, 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 no. I know what I'm worth. I know what I'm worth because the Son of God was willing to give his life for me and shed his blood. I, I know what I'm worth. I know what it took for me to have a, a covenant with God. Father, we thank you for the blood. It reaches me at my highest points of success, and it flows to my lowest places of despair and discouragement, and it never loses its power. And I thank you that it's working in me today. In Jesus' name, we receive. Let's receive together.
declare this in reaches. today. 